We're going to uh, have our Bible reading so the crew can come up and they will uh, introduce the passages as well. Amy's first. Uh, Tonight's reading is from Mark chapter 10 and it's verses 17 to 23. The rich young man. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answers. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will, you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said his disciples, to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Our second reading is from Luke Chapter 10, verses 25 to 29 and 36 to 37. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. How many differences can you see um, between these two pictures? I'll put you out of your misery. I don't want actually any differences between them. Exactly the same picture, so um, we won't waste too much time on that. Um, what I'd like to do, though, is um, do something different, which is spot the similarity. You've just heard two passages read to us um, from different um, parts of the Bible, two different stories. And here they're going to come up. I know the writing's a bit small. If you can't read it, hopefully you'll turn to your Bibles and read it in your Bibles. If you can read it on there, it might be easier for you just to compare the two. What are the similarities you can see between these two stories that were read to us? Maybe um, you, you spotted them as they were read. Maybe just a few minutes um, with the person next to you, have a chat, um, and see if you can work out how many different similarities you can find between those two passages. I'll give you a clue. There's what? I think there's probably four main ones, but you may find other ones. Um, give yourselves a few minutes just to do that with the person sitting next to you. Okay, let's see how you're getting on. Anybody want to um, come up with a, with a similarity between the two? Sorry? What they can do. A bit more? Exactly. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Exactly the same question, in fact, isn't it? In both passages, the same question is asked of Jesus. They both actually refer to him as teacher as well, if you'd spotted before that. But uh, good one. Next one. Jesus replies with a question. He does. That didn't have that one, but that's a very good point, Martin. Very good. He replies with a question. Yep, in the first case, what is written in the law? 
And the other one, why do you call me good? Yeah, good. Yes, Tom? Both of them say to love your neighbour. Um, do they both say that? <laughs> you're, on, you're on the same line. You're on the right lines, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, Ken? Yes, yeah, exactly. That comes um, a little bit later. There's one before that, before the questioners justify themselves. Um, letter, yeah? Yeah, Jesus in both cases refers to the, um, the Ten Commandments. Um, in the first case, it's referring to a summary of the Ten Commandments or a summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And in the other case, it's um, actually repeating the, um, some of the Ten Commandments. Good. The next one Ken mentioned already. Um, each case, the person asking tries to justify themselves. So here, he wanted, it actually says he wanted to justify himself. In the other one, it says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Surely I must be okay. One more main one. Any of the young people? Jesus gives them action to do, exactly. Um, he says, go, and gives them an action to do. In the first case, go and do likewise. And in the second case, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. We're going to find out in a short while just exactly why he does that and what he means by that. Father God, we thank you that you have blessed us in so many ways. We are blessed with material provision that others in the world could scarce imagine. And we pray that you would accept those gifts that we bring you this evening. And we pray that you would help us to think through how we should use the gifts that you've given us in your service day by day. We thank you for the examples that we've had read to us and that we've seen on the screen where we can serve others around us in different ways. And we pray that you'd help us to work that through in our own lives. Help us to look around us and see the need on our own doorstep. Help us to be aware of the needs in other places within our own country. And help us to inform ourselves of what's going on in the wider world and what we could and should be doing to, to help the lives of others that are less fortunate than, than we are here. We thank you for all our blessings. With those blessings comes responsibility. And we pray you'd help us to think through that responsibility in the days ahead. And we pray that we would give you the whole of our lives, in a sense giving you money, giving money in your service is easy, 
We pray that you'd help us with all the gifts that you've given us. Help us with our time. Help us to think through our priorities. And help us to be useful in your service. And we pray now that we would be attentive to what you would say to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Alan, and thank you for the group and for leading us in our worship this evening. It's been great to have you have you doing that. Now, many of you will have read this passage we're looking at this evening of the Good Samaritan many times, and um, probably thinking, well, what more is that I can learn from that? Right, that's not the case, because um, however familiar the passage from the Bible, um, however well we might even remember the words, I think Ken was saying earlier on, I think he recited the, uh, the words from this parable, um, Jesus always has something more to teach us. It may not be necessarily be the meaning of the story, maybe actually just how that applies to us today, how that touches our hearts. Uh, and it's an amazing passage in many ways. If you'd like to turn to it, if you haven't got it open before, before you, if you would to. I think the first amazing thing is that actually a lawyer stands up to test Jesus. When Jesus, if you remember, was tested by the devil in the desert, he said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, he doesn't reply to the lawyer here in this way, but he actually turns his question around and actually ends up testing him. And he reveals in the process what is in his heart. As it says in Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And he's not talking, what he's talking about here is our inner being. Uh, what we really like inside. Not the impression we like to, to give to other people, but what about us that only we know, that only God knows. Jesus reserved his strongest criticism, not for those who make mistakes, because at the end of the day we all do that, but for those who think they've got it sorted or who are unwilling to admit their mistakes. If you remember the parable of the prodigal son, for example, the, the younger son who, who leaves home, he messes his life up completely, but he sees where he's gone wrong and he, he turns from that. He asks for forgiveness. He comes back and he's welcomed in to the home. But at the end of the story, it's actually the elder son who believes he's never put a foot wrong, who stands outside refusing to come in. And he's the one who's in the worst state. Well, we've been doing a series on Sunday evenings about social action. This is the final one in the series, and it really gets that where is our heart? Where is our heart? So let's have a look at the passage again. Well, the lawyer's question is the same as in the other passage we looked at. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Fair question, you might think. Um, but actually, the emphasis is wrong here. Notice not, how can I receive eternal life? It's on what should I do? How can I earn eternal life for myself? Now, Jesus could have simply said, as he did to the Jews in John 6, when they asked him a similar question, believe in the one God has sent, trust in me. But as with the story of the rich man, Jesus knew the heart of the lawyer. So he wanted to, uh, to, to teach him a lesson here. And so he, in a way, sets the guy up, doesn't he? 
He says, what does the law say? And the lawyer answers, probably in a sort of, you know, why are you asking me that question type of way? Uh, He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, That's an easy one. Give us a harder one. And Jesus replies, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Seems quite straightforward, doesn't it? But he knows the heart of the lawyer. He knows that won't be enough for this guy. He knows that he will want to justify himself. And he'll come back with another question, which is what he does, isn't it? And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? And you feel a sense of sort of smugness in his response, which leads into the parable that Jesus tells us. Uh, It's a brilliant parable because it's not, again, what we would expect. And there are two things Jesus wants to get across in this parable. One is, who is my neighbor? What do we mean by that? And the other one is, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? Now, Jesus could have simply said, well, your neighbor is everyone. But that wouldn't really have um, changed the heart of the lawyer, would it? And so what he does is he challenges him in a radical way as to whether he has really understood mercy. He does that by telling him a story. Now, the story would have been quite easy to understand for the The Jews there, they would have known that road from Jerusalem to to Jericho is a dangerous one. In today's term, it would have been something like um, a man walked through a a township in Johannesburg um, or a favela in in Rio. You've got a picture of one coming up, I think. Um, Not the sort of place you really want to walk through. The sort of place you know you're going to get into trouble and sure enough, this man also is attacked, he's robbed, he's left half dead in the road. A priest walks down the road, somebody you'd expect to know the commandment, love your neighbour as yourself, and so the guy, if he's still conscious at the stage, might have looked up and thought, thank you God for sending this man. But he carries on walking. A Levite, another temple worker, who also would have known the commandment, love your neighbour as yourself, comes by and he thinks again, Thank you, God, for sending this man. But he walks by. Maybe they were in a rush. Maybe, maybe they thought he was dead. Maybe they were afraid for their own safety. Could be a whole load of different reasons they had for passing by. And at this stage, you might think, what's Jesus going to say next? Maybe he's going to say, and then another ordinary Jew came by and stopped and helped him. And it would have been in boo-hoo to the priest and the Levite, but hooray for the ordinary Jew who walks by. But he doesn't, does he? He says something actually very different. He says, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan. Now, I don't think we fully appreciate the significance of this to the people who would have heard this for the first time. It may be a little bit how we were in Morocco this summer. We were on holiday. We were driving back to the airport in our hired car. And what happens? We have a puncture. It was a busy road, lots of lorries going past, but only a single carriageway, not much space to pull over. Um, so we're sort of on the edge of the, of the road, um, very hot, high 30s. What do we do? We get out our triangle, go and put it down the road as you should do. Um, but every lorry that came along just blew it away, so that was, that was useless. Looked for the spare wheel and the jack, no sign of them. Eventually we worked out, well, actually the spare wheel was under the car, there was no jack around, um, and there was no tool to actually unscrew 
the wheel from the top. Second option, worst phone up, a higher company. Out with a mobile phone, no signal. Third option, let's wave somebody down and ask for help. And actually, we were very impressed. Second car we waved down, pulled to the side of the road. It was a Muslim family um, on holiday, all nicely dressed, um, stopped by the side of the road, um, explained the situation. They said, great, I'll get my tools out. Took out all the luggage, all their holiday luggage out of the boot of the car, got down to the tools. I said, great, thank you very much. I'll, I'll take over from here. But no, wouldn't have any of that. He proceeded to, to change the wheel for me, dripping with sweat in the heat. Now, we were really touched by that. A you know, Muslim family helping these Western tourists who didn't know what they're doing. Um, and I wonder that's something of how we think of this story. But actually, it's much more dramatic than that because the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. At the end of the parable, when, when Jesus asks the lawyer, which of the three do you think was a neighbor, it's like he can't even bring himself to say, well, the Samaritan. No, he says, well, the one who had mercy on him. And for the Samaritan, it would have been more like maybe Israelis and Palestinians today. Two Israelis walk past a, a fellow Israeli lying beaten up in the road. They leave him there, but a Palestinian walks by and helps him. Is that sort of dramatic effect? Well, after the lawyer replies, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. Now, to understand the significance of that command, we have to understand who is my neighbor. Jesus is saying, love your neighbor but it doesn't mean just be kind to your friends because, after all, you know, that's quite easy, isn't it? Um, you probably actually want to be kind to them because you like them. It's not a big deal, but be kind, actually, to your enemies as well. And that is something very different because that means actually first forgiving them. One of the passages we referred to last week was from Luke um, chapter 6, which um, I think might come up on the screen uh, behind me. Luke chapter 6. Let me just read this through because it's quite small print. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It's like Jesus actually in many ways is the Samaritan. He's the, the outsider, the stranger who, who comes into the world, the one who's hated by the Jewish authorities and yet he has mercy on his enemies. He says, remember on the cross, he's in absolute agony. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He loved us while we were still enemies. Romans 5 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Go and do likewise. Is another way of saying be merciful just as your Father is merciful. But that's only possible when we've appreciated 
his mercy for us. What if our neighbours are all those in need, including our enemies? What does that mercy look like? What does it mean to love your neighbour as yourself? Verse 33, have a look back down at that again. It says, But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion for him. But as a carry on, he took pity on him, but he realised there was nothing he could do. He took pity on him, but he was in a hurry. But he had no money or anything he could use to help him with. But he was worried about his own safety. But he saw that he was a Jew. There were loads of things he could have made him just carry on. And it would have been easier for him to carry on than the priest or the Levite. But instead, Jesus said, he went to him. He went to him. He did what the others didn't. He went to him to see how he was, whether he was dead, whether there was anything he could do. He went to him. He saw him as Jesus saw him with all his needs. This was real compassion that caused him to do something. Part of what it means to engage with the community as we've been looking at in this series means to go to where the needy are. So what did he do when he went to him? He went to him He bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, he put the man on his donkey, he brought him to an inn, he took care of him, he paid for his expenses. It's a bit like when somebody tells you a story and you were there at the same time and they're they're going on and on, they're telling you all the detail and you just want to say, I don't think people are interested in that, just get to the, cut to the chase, just get to the funny bit. Why does Jesus bother with all this detail? Why doesn't he just say, well, the man went to him, saw him in a bad way, and took him to the nearest inn? Well, I think what Jesus is saying here is actually to love your neighbour as yourself is something really radical. It is costly. It costs a lot. What are some of the costs involved in um, helping those in need? Well, one is, I think, just putting aside our own comfort. We don't know where the Samaritan was was going that day, but he didn't get there. Couldn't have phoned up on his mobile to say, sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it today. We don't know how much money he had or what he was going to spend it on, but he spent two denarii on on this man. He risked his safety. It was obviously a dangerous road, and yet he stopped. He slowed down. He put the man on the donkey, which would have slowed him down even more. He could just have easily been beaten up himself. And he used up his his mental and emotional energy. He cared for him. He stayed with him. He was concerned for him. Who else did all those sorts of things for us? Well, Jesus did, didn't he? He put aside his own comfort, came down from heaven. He risked safety, his own life. He gave up his own life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, he said, it says, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And he called out to his father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
He allowed himself to be mocked, to be beaten and crucified for our sakes. Well, as we come to the end, we said at the beginning this was about social action and the heart. Coming back to the lawyer, if Jesus had said to the lawyer earlier on when he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus could have said, go and have mercy on people in need. And it probably wouldn't have changed the lawyer, would it? He would probably have thought, well, I'm actually doing a bit of that already. But by telling this parable, and hopefully it struck home to us this evening as well, Jesus is saying you need to understand the radical nature of compassion. Loving your neighbor is radical. It involves having compassion on all peoples, including our enemies. It involves considering the needs of others as more important than the cost to us. And it's radical because Jesus' love for us was radical. We're just going to have a moment of quiet before we um, have our, our final song. Uh, what I'd like you to do is to think um, about these two points we consider this evening, loving our enemies. It's not an easy thing to do, is it? Um, maybe think of the people who maybe have hurt you, been unkind towards you, maybe said some nasty things, maybe done something nasty to you. We just need to pray that God would enable you, enable you to forgive them and have compassion on them. And then think of the cost that Jesus underwent. How costly is our compassion going to be for others we see in need? How much are we going to give up? How much are we going to sacrifice for those in need? Let's have some time for quiet, just for each of us individually to speak to God about that. Father God, you know our hearts, you know what's in them, you know what we think and feel. We might be able to say and do all the right things, but uh, Lord, we do pray that you would change our hearts so that we would be able to love all people, including all our enemies, including those who um, have been unkind to us, or those we just don't get on with. Help us to, to love them, to go to them. And Lord, as we think of the cost of compassion and the example of Jesus, help us to be willing to, to give up um, so much to help others. Help us to make those sacrifices because Jesus sacrificed so much for us. In his name we pray. Amen.